You may be seated, and all of God's people said, You know, I love the passage of Scripture this morning uh, in our Bible class as we've been studying through Haggai. I love chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest. He stirred up the people of the the whole remnant of the people, and they came and began to work on the house of the Lord. When God Almighty stirs up his people, amazing things can be done in his name. Amen? So this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me see your Bibles this morning. See your Bibles or your smart gadget or whatever you want to use. Find 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to be there first, and then we're going to move to some other places as well. But as we begin, I want to tell you a story. Don Richardson, in his book, Eternity in Their Heart, he tells an amazing story about spiritual harvest. There was an area once called Burma, which is now called, it's, it's now modern uh, Myanmar. It lies between China and Thailand, and it touches the border of Laos. And there lived there at one time about a quarter of a million tribal people called the Lahu. And for many centuries, the Lahu had a tradition which said that the creator of all things, whom they called Gisha, had given their forefathers his law written on rice cakes. Now, how many of you have ever eaten a rice cake? My advice to you, if you haven't, don't. There is nothing there. There is no substance to it at all. But sometimes that's what you're called to eat and you have it there, okay? So a famine came and the forefathers ate the rice cake. That would be the only time that I want to eat a rice cake again is if we're in a famine. They had to eat that for their physical survival. And so the elders defended their actions by saying, that Gisha's law was now inside of them because they had eaten the rice cake. But the Lahu could not know and obey their creator perfectly until he would again give them his written laws. And so the Lahu people had prophets of Gisha whose mission was this, to keep the expectation of help from the creator constantly alive in the hearts of the people. And so the prophets would teach the people with proverbs like this one. It said, if a man had ten armloads of walking sticks and walked until every walking stick was worn down to just a stub, he would still not find Gishaw, which was their true God. But when the right time comes, it says, Gishaw will send us to a brother with a book that contains his laws the word lost by our forefathers so long ago, and that brother will bring the lost book back to our very homes. And so some Lahu even wore cords around their wrists that symbolized their need for a divinely appointed deliverer who would one day cut those cords from their wrist. This really happened. And so as they wore those cords, they sent a message that said, We need somebody. 
we need somebody to come bring us the good news. We want to be delivered. We want to be set free because they realized in their hearts the one Gisha that we're worshiping, something is not right about him. And so they wore that to symbolize we want freedom. And so if you haven't read my bulletin article this morning, there's another story that ties in with this that says this. Back in the 1890s, there was a young missionary named William Marfus Young who was appointed to take the gospel to the Shan people in the eastern extremity of Burma. And so he established his base in King Tung City, capital of the Shan region. And so one day, Young went out to the marketplace and he was preaching among the Shan people, most of whom were Buddhist, and he read the Ten Commandments to them from the Bible. And then holding his Bible up, with the sun gleaming on its white pages, he began to preach and teach to them about the true God. And as he preached, he noticed there were some men that kind of got up from the marketplace and started walking toward him. And so he could tell by their dress that, man, these are not the Sean people. And so later he discovered that they were Lahu men who had decided that day to come down from the far mountains to trade in the market of King Tung. And they completely surrounded William Young, this missionary, and they stared into his face. And they made eye contact with him just as much as they could. And they listened intently to what he was teaching. They listened intently to the way that he was describing the one true God, the Almighty God. And so when he had finished, they pleaded with the missionary to follow them into the mountains. And I love what they said next. We have been waiting for you for centuries. We even have meeting houses built in some of our villages anticipating that you're coming. Church, I want that to sink in for a moment. We have been waiting for you for centuries. You know, sometimes as we, the people of faith, sometimes as we have this Bible in our hands and in our hearts, a lot of times we just read something from the page and we just take it for granted. You see, God intended for His written Word to come alive and to be stirred to leave the pages of the book to come into our hearts. Because when the page, when words from this page come into our heart, your life and my life will never be the same again. And just like the people centuries ago in this little village, we have people today in our lost and dying world that are crying out to us, please give us something besides what we have. Because we've been chasing God after God after God, we've been trading it in, trying to find hope and trying to find happiness, and we're tired of that. We want a God with substance. 
Folks, may we never take Almighty God for granted. May we never take His plan and His will for our life for granted. But may we always see this is for us. This is a blessing that's come down from God to the heart of his people. Now what will you and I do until Jesus comes back with this good news? Knowing that we have people that are crying out, we've been waiting. We've been waiting. And I want you to hear that this morning spoken directly to you. Not just to us as a group, but to you individually. Okay? Because at some point, we've got to take ownership that God has called me. God has called me to make a difference for Him. And so those ropes that they wore around their wrists, they symbolized their bondage to evil spirits and as a result of not having God's word. And here's what they went on to say. You alone, as the messenger of God, may cut these from our wrist, but only after you have brought the book of the one true God into our very homes. In other words, we don't want you to just cut them, but we want you to cut them loose and set us free when you're coming to give us this. Wow. Hear that message this morning. God is sowing the seed, and the seed continues to grow. And all it takes is a simple and humble heart that's willing to hear and receive. And here's the third part, to give back. We hear the word of God, we receive it, we take it in, and we give it back exactly where it came from. And we give it to those who desperately need it. Because do you realize that one time in your life, you desperately were in need of the one true God. Do you realize right now, doesn't matter how long you've been a child of God, you are still in need of Almighty God. And as we've read this morning from Psalm 62, as we come to God, what we begin to realize is He is our salvation, He is our fortress, which can never be shaken. That's where we find true hope. And so as a result, in 1904, Young and others baptized 2,200 Lahu converts who had learned the basics of the Christian faith. And from then until 1936 when he died, still working among the Lahu, he saw at least 2,000 Lahu people give their lives to Christ every day. unbelievable isn't it it's unbelievable what can happen if we just continue to give people God if we just continue to give people his word and live 
the faith out like he's called us to do, it's amazing what God can do with the increase. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as Paul is talking here, he says in verse 1, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? And here's what I want you to hear the next few verses. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. So my question to us this morning is, who are you? Who am I? Listen to me. We are only servants of the one who came to us. We're all servants. And so he goes on to say, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. And the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarding according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so, what is our role? As we live out life, as we live out the Christian faith, right now in 2014, what God calls us to do and to be about is to plant and water. And he, as Paul says, will give the increase. You plant, you water, and Paul says God, in his own time, will give the increase. Look how long it took for the folks who were spreading the word to the people of the Lahoo. Some it took years. Some it didn't take long because they're searching so desperately. But the point of the matter is this. They came to know God at just the right time. They came to know God on His timing and not their own. Plant and water and God gives the increase. Now I want you to turn over a few pages to 1 Corinthians 16. Paul occasionally used the door as a metaphor for opportunity. Or maybe as a place of transition from going from one place to the next. And so this is what he does in 1 Corinthians 16. He's in Ephesus. He's on his third missionary journey. He's writing to friends in the church at Corinth. He's advising them of his plans and, and where he's going to be traveling. But he has this tremendous desire to come back to the church at Corinth and spend time with them, maybe even, Scripture suggests, all winter. But there's work to be done in Ephesus first, and then he hopes to go and spend some time in Corinth. 
And so here's what he says. He's given some personal requests before he gives his final greetings and kind of signs off in chapter 16. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, but I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on the journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Do you hear that? There lies before me an open door and yet I know that many people are going to oppose when I walk through this door, but yet what does Paul choose to do anyway? He chooses to go through that open door. Now, I don't know where you may be in your life right now, but I know from time to time we pray for doors of opportunity to open up for us, don't we? Whether it be a job, whether it be an event or a circumstance that we really want to take place, we just pray, Lord, give me an open door. And sometimes... He swings that door open so wide it would just hit us if we walked through it. But my question is, do you go through the doors that he opens? Do you even recognize an open door that's from God? Do you recognize it? What are some doors right now that you want opened in your life individually? And now I'm going to ask you this. What are doors of opportunity that we want God to open up for us right here at Lamar Avenue. I mean, right now we're praying and we're dreaming and we're asking the question, Lord, what do you want Lamar Avenue Church of Christ to really be about the next 10, 15 years? What do you want, Lord? What do you want from us? Understanding and knowing that our role is still just to plant and water and God's going to give the increase, but Lord, what is it? that you really want me to be about. Because above all, we want God's will to be done, right? And we want to hear the voice of God and make sure that we're going down the path and through the doors that He has for us. wonder what that will be. Boy, it's an exciting time to see that. Can you imagine Paul right here knowing that, man, a door's fixing to open, and I know that there are going to be some that just flat out oppose what I do. And he's not doing it for himself. Who's he doing it for, church? He's doing it for the will of God. He's just the messenger. He's just the one to deliver the word and to deliver the good news wherever he may be, whether it be Corinth or Ephesus or wherever he finds himself, he realizes this is where God wants me to be. And so he had great plans. And he knew that Macedonia was in his future. And he knew that Corinth was in his future. But he also knew that God is opening up this door right in front of me to go to Ephesus. And church, I want to say this. Sometimes our greatest open door is right where we're standing 
and we miss it. Now, why do we do that? A lot of times we miss it because it's not what I want, or it's not where I want to go, or it's not what looks intriguing to us, and so we just say, nah, I'm just going to trade this one in for another one, and maybe we just continue to wait and wait and wait, and all this time, God still is trying to point us back to right here. Here's where I want you, church. Here's where I want you, Patrick. Here's where I want you, Kyle. Here's where I want you, Diana. Here's where God wants you to be. And church, listen, where God wants you is a whole lot more important than where you want for yourself. We've got to have ears to hear and to listen to that and to be tuned in to his will to realize it's wide open for you. And it's straight from God. Now I want you to turn back to Acts 19. I want you to see something here. Acts 19. As, as this door is beginning to open up, Paul begins to see that it's a door of opportunity. While Apollos was at Corinth, I'm in verse 1, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And look at how they answered. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Do you think it's possible that we have people around right here that would even say that? We didn't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, there's a lot of people crying that out. And you know what? They're looking to you. They're looking to me to show them. I guarantee you, when Paul's asking that question and it comes back that way, it hits them right where it needed to be, didn't it? No, we didn't know. Tell us. And so jump down to verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And some of them came, became obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. And so Paul left them. And he took the disciples with him and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. And this went on for how long? Two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You know what that tells me? It takes time. It takes God's timing. And sometimes it may be two years. Sometimes it may be three years. Sometimes it may be longer. But what's important is it's on God's timing. And Paul has got to be okay with that. Now some of us, man, you want me to go over here for two years and try to help people see that there's a God and that there's a Holy Spirit? You know what? You better have a lot of patience, folks. You better have a lot of patience, right? Some of us get pretty impatient pretty quick, don't we? 
Some of us want to see growth and we want to see it yesterday. It takes time. I guarantee you there were probably days when Paul said, man, I need to check out of this and go somewhere else. They're not getting it. But he stayed. And look what happens. Jump down to verse 13. Some Jews who went among, who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them. Well, that'll wake you up, won't it? And overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held. How? In high honor. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Now, what made the difference? Yeah, they were scared out of their wits at what was taking place. But you know what made the difference? Paul continued to give them the Lord. Paul continued to teach and preach regardless of what was taking place, regardless of the opposition that's taking place. I mean, he was beaten, he was stone-wrecked, he, he went through it all. Paul did. Why did he do that? To make sure that the name of Jesus was getting out to as many people as possible. So he continued to work and he continued to teach. But who is it in John chapter 16, who is it that the work behind all of this that's making sure that people are going to come to know Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit. John 16, beginning in verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. You mean they're not going to come because of me? They're not going to come because I'm doing such a great job proclaiming the word and I'm modeling and being an example of what the message is? No, they're not. They come to know Jesus because His Spirit convicts them. That's pretty neat, isn't it? And you know what God says to us? Just be my people. Just be my people and plant and water. And my Spirit is going to convict them I'm going to bless it with the increase. Don't miss the equation, folks. Don't miss it. You're not the one that's going to bless it. You're not the one that's going to get the glory for it. Just plant, just water, and let God take care of the rest. And with God and His Spirit, listen to me, you can never go wrong. Amen? And he's going to give the increase, and he's going to bless it. 
And so with those doors that Paul went through, and the same thing happens to us, not only will it be a door of opportunity, but listen to this, it's going to be doors that will strike us with a sense of responsibility. We walk through those doors, we begin to realize like Paul did, this is where God wants me. And this is where God's going to use me for his glory. Yes, I want to go to Macedonia, and yes, I want to see the Corinthians, but now I must be right here, Paul says. And so for us today, we may say, you know, I really want to go over here, or I want to go over there, but what we need to say is, for right now, I'm right here because this is where God must be using me. Will we listen to that? And will we walk through open doors with a smile on our face, ready to go to work, realizing that God in his Holy Spirit is working now just as it worked then. To stir us up from the leadership to the people to everybody else, all of God's people are stirred up by his Spirit to realize there's work to do. There's work that must be done and God must be using me right now in this place to be a servant. What a blessing for that. And so an, op an open door is also going to be opposed, just like we see in Paul's day. But I want to tell you this, the presence of opposition does not mean that you've moved out of the will of God. Okay? It's not going to be perfect. It's not always going to be a bed of roses. But as you move and as you face opposition, it doesn't mean that God's going to close that door. It just means this is where God has put you. This is where God's going to use you right now. And he's going to bless you. And in the end, we're going to be able to realize this is a blessing. that God is using me as his servant to reach more people for him. So God, this morning I pray that as we have seen these examples from your holy word, Father, help us realize that you are at work. And Father, just like the people in the little village in Burma that we've talked about this morning, that were, so, that were desperately crying out for the people to bring you to their hearts. May we realize today, Father, that there are people surrounding us right now that need to know you. That they need to know about your spirit that comes to dwell in our hearts. And Father, we thank you for that gift that gift that is always with us, leading and guiding us where you want us to be. So, Father, this morning may we hear these words and may we be challenged to continue to be your servants at all times for the sake of the kingdom. It's through Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and sing.